Hi, I'm Jackie, and we're in our series called Lime Green, Reshaping Our View of Women. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking about something that actually I rarely talk about. Today, we're going to be talking about mothering. Welcome to the Jackie Always Unplugged podcast, where we're having off-the-record conversations. I'm Reverend Dr. Jackie Reese, founder and president of The Marcella Project. As a pastor, preacher, and thought leader, I've walked with women of faith for decades and had thousands of conversations about what women encounter solely because they are women. At work, family, their faith, with relationships, sex, the church, their bodies, and Jesus. On this podcast, we're going to be asking hard questions, dealing with real issues, and revisiting scripture with a new lens. These conversations are going to put words to your female experience. They're going to ennoble you as Jesus intended and encourage you to bring your full self to the table. It's here we're going to reshape our view. Welcome back. The other day, my daughter asked um, what we'd be talking about in this episode, and I said mothering. And she got this funny look on her face, and she said, Mom, you never talk about that. She's right. I don't. For a lot of reasons. Partly because mothering didn't come natural for me. There's a whole lot of things around mothering that I wasn't good at, and I actually didn't like doing, like cooking and cleaning. I hate to shop. I'm a terrible decorator. And then you have to manage all of those projects that your kids bring home from school. And, and I'm, I'm actually not very nurturing. And when I tell people that, they think, oh, come on, Jackie. You know, no, I'm really not. Ask my oldest son, Hunter. He will tell you it's true. I actually never wanted to be a mother. And I know that's not true for many of you. For some of you, it is. But for me, I, I just never thought about being a mom. And so, you know, it threw me when I was 24 and I got pregnant while living in a van. Yes, you heard that right. I got pregnant while living in a van. Why was I in a van? Oh, because Steve and I had been married for a year or two and we weren't doing very well. And we thought to ourselves, well, we could either get divorced or we can buy a van, travel the country and see if we still like each other. Isn't that what every Christian couple does when they have marriage problems? Buy a van and travel the country? I think that's why Steve and I were never asked to counsel engaged couples at our church. So I got pregnant while living in a van. And that took my life in a direction I never envisioned. Like, I never wanted to be a mom. And I remember folding clothes one day and thinking, this is not how I thought my life would turn out. Have you ever said those words to yourself? So here I am. By the time I'm 28, I have three kids, three and a half and under. Steve has three jobs. We have one car. He had it. We lived in a 900-square-foot apartment during the 1990s, which means no internet, no cell phone, just me and three tiny little kids in a tiny little apartment. I basically did two things in the week. I went to night class at seminary, and I took a Tuesday morning Bible study, and that was it. It was such a lonely period in my life. I looked around, and I could not find where my people were. You ever feel like that? I remember walking around in that tiny little apartment, saying out loud, Jesus, I need a friend. And he would whisper back, I'm it. And I'd be like, no, no, I want a real flesh and blood body. I want somebody that can ding-dong my doorbell. Makes me think of uh, Psalm 139. 
where David talks about being hemmed in. We always read that verse like it's so lovely and secure. It says that God hemmed me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me to attain. Sounds lovely, right? Mm. Hemmed. You know what that means? You can go this far and no further. Think of a cat in a cage. Yeah, I was hemmed in in that tiny little apartment with tiny little people. But I have to tell you, it was there when there were no one else around. And I'm a massive extrovert, so that's really hard. But there was no one around. And that's where I learned to listen to Jesus' voice first and foremost. And I got to be honest with you, that came in so handy when it came to mothering. We moved out of that tiny little apartment, moved into a house in the suburbs, and it was there that I started feeling very unsettled about my mothering, because now I'm encountering other women at the church, in the community, at the kids' school, and now I'm starting to hear these spoken and unspoken messages about being this perfect mom, actually about being this perfect Christian mom, and you know what that means. I got to be honest, like parenting is hard enough, and I was pretty sure I was going to screw up my kids no matter what, and I didn't need to have a mirror of perfection held up to my face. I felt so unsure of how to do this, and I did pretty much what I think probably you all do, right? Like we look to her and her and her, and they seem to be doing it well, and we think, okay, I'll emulate that. And there is something wise about that, right? The scripture says Don't go to war without the advice of many advisors. And parenting can feel like a war sometimes. And so we are supposed to, like, grab and learn from other people. I remember asking a few women, women that I thought they were doing it really well, and I wanted to do it as well as they were. I asked this one woman who had three boys. They seemed so kind and considerate. And I asked her, what do you think the key is here? And she told me the key was to make sure my kids were in music lessons by second grade. Because it turns out kids who take music lessons tend to have higher IQs. And that had me all up in a bunch because I want my kids to be smart, but we couldn't afford music lessons. Then I had another woman tell me that I needed to make sure that my kids wore stride-right shoes because that's what would keep their their feet growing really well. And I thought, oh my gosh, I want my kids to have good feet. I want them to be able to walk well. I couldn't afford stride-rights. And then there was this Christian fad teaching during the time that I was raising my kids I don't think it's around anymore, thank goodness. It was called Growing Kids God's Way. And as a mom, I got to tell you, we were, as a Christian mom, there was a lot of pressure to like follow this verbatim. I mean, it was straight out of the Bible, although it wasn't. One of the things they said was you could, should never, ever have your baby sleep in your room with you. Now, I actually think that's pretty good advice. I'm just not so sure it's like, thus says the Lord. And besides, I had three kids three and a half and under. And when Madison arrived, I was exhausted. When she needed to be fed in the middle of the night, I threw her in the bed and we slept. You would have thought I committed a cardinal sin. Then I had to think about it. Wait a minute. During biblical times, people slept in the same room with their parents. And most kids in developing countries do the same thing today. Maybe it's not all that biblical. This mothering, (laughs) it's hard. And we feel so inadequate. And we really don't want to screw our kids up. And so we look at other women that seem to have it all down. And I don't even know how you guys do it because, like, you have social media now and Pinterest. Like, I can't even look at Pinterest. 
Because remember, I can't decorate. I think it's really good to look to other women to see how they're doing it and grab a golden nugget from her and one from her and one from her. Figure out how to create our own framework, right? Like how does this fit for how God designed us and our kids and our family dynamics? I know you know this. There's a whole lot of mother shaming going on out there, isn't there? You know, the subtle eye rolling when your kids don't behave or a family you know, member makes a comment, if you just do this, then they would behave. I had that happen often as I raised my children, particularly one, his name is Hampton. And over and over again, I would have to hold on to that verse where Paul said, I am here to please God, not man. Yeah, I had to tell myself that over and over and over again. Like when I got the phone call from the vice principal of the middle school. He told me that Hampton had stolen an ice cream from the lunchroom, which was really stupid because Hampton had money in his account. He just didn't know it. And I remember thinking, okay, Jesus, what do I do with this one? And I, he took me to Ephesians 4.28. And so when Hampton got home, I sat him down and I said, okay, got a phone call from the principal. He knew. I opened up the Bible and I said, I asked Jesus what to do about it. And here's what he wants to say to you, Hampton. Hampton. Quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work and give generously to others in need. And that's what he did. He had to work in the yard with his dad. He got paid. And then dad took him for a ride, and they bought a homeless person lunch. And then there was this shaming that came when Sammy's mom called. Sammy's mom was very upset because Hampton, on his way home from school, shot Sammy in the leg with a tack. And the next day, I had to go to school. Because it was one of those Thanksgiving celebration days, you know, where you have to bring cranberry sauce or sliced turkey. And so there I was, Hampton's class. And as I walked down the hallway, it was very obvious that there had been a whole lot of talking about the tack attack. Teachers and moms, eyes rolling, shaming. And then I remember when I was asked to come on staff as a full-time employee at the church. And I had this sudden, like, fear this like insecurity just washed over me. What if I take this job and it tips the balance of our family? Have you ever thought that? What if the kids think my work for Jesus took them away from them? Like that's even worse. That's a whole other like pastor problem. I can actually understand why we actually long for our church community to give these parenting classes and why we read every book on parenting because we so, so desperately want to do this right. Give us some lists. Give us rules to follow. We want to ensure that we don't mess them up. That's exactly what I was feeling when I got that job. I took the job, by the way. And a few years later, while I was in the job, I kind of felt like I was supposed to pursue a doctorate. And once again, there was those floods of feelings, right? Insecurity, fears. What if I fail? Can I handle the work, kids, school, house, and stay married? By the way, I want you to know that Steve is an, is an amazing partner. I didn't manage all of this alone. He had his hands in it all the way. And I know that most of you don't do it alone either. But I will tell you, what I learned is that even though my husband was a great help, most of the emotional and social labor in the family was handled by me. And I know it's handled by many of you. And I always thought it was interesting When Steve got offered a job or a promotion, I don't think he ever asked the questions I was asking, like, 
would this tip our balance in our family? I think that's an interesting topic we need to talk about one of these days. You know, I think um, one of the most painful things I felt while mothering is that I didn't always feel like other women were in my corner. Can you relate to that? I had friends, but because my life didn't look like the typical Christian mom in suburbia, somehow my difference threatened the way they were living. It was like if, if I suddenly became normal for what a godly woman could look like, then what about them? It was actually never expressed openly. Well, that's not true. It was actually once said expressively to me. But it usually came in a form of comments like, in all that you're doing, um, who do you think is paying the price in your family? Yeah, she said that to me. I know. You've heard those kinds of things too. You know what she's asking. Am I neglecting Steve or the kids? And I remember thinking to myself, you want to know who's paying the price? The person paying the price is me, my body, my lack of sleep, my lack of free time. If anybody's paying a price, lady, it's me. That was painful. To be honest with you, it still is. When I think about how women weren't in my corner, it's hard enough doing this parenting thing alone. We really need to do a better job at that, I think. In the middle of juggling all of this, my full-time job, a doctorate, kids, house, and husband, I had Hampton. I used to say Hampton was like Dennis the Menace on caffeine. What I mean by that is he was really hard to raise. I mean hard since the time he was four years old. At one point, things got so bad that I thought, oh my gosh, I think he has bipolar. I mean, there's, there is mental illness that runs in my family. I, of course, have none of it. And I took him. I took him to a psychiatrist, the best in Dallas, and he did a battery of tests. Guess what? Turns out he has a genius IQ. He's an athlete, a leader, and he's funny and very charismatic. The psychiatrist said these kinds of people do one of two things. They either change the world or they live on skid row, and they never live in between. I got to tell you, that was scary to hear because I knew which road we were on. I always wonder, why do we work so hard to create exceptional kids? Exceptional people are tormented. They cut off their ears. We don't need exceptional kids. We need above average. Above average is very, very good. Hampton was hard. I remember one time I was sitting downstairs in my living room in my rocking chair preparing for a women's conference that I was teaching that weekend. And I looked up to the second floor and I noticed smoke coming out of the window. I knew it was Hampton smoking pot early in the morning. So I called Steve on the cell phone. He was in another part of the house. And I said, hey, babe, I'm downstairs, and I'm pretty sure Hampton's smoking pot upstairs. Do you think you could handle that for me? Because I'm trying to get ready to teach the Bible. Yeah, that kind of stuff happens, doesn't it? Steve and I, we had to make hard decisions, painful decisions, some decisions I never thought I would have to make. And I know some of you are in that same boat. It's shocking. Never thought we'd be here. There was a time, because of the road Hampton was going down, I wasn't sure he was going to make it. I mean, I actually was worried. Not only was he headed for Skid Row, but I wasn't sure he was actually going to live. That's a hard place to be as a mom. 
And I remember crying out to Jesus about it. I so desperately wanted him to give me the assurance that in the long run, Hampton was going to be okay. You know what? He didn't. Instead, he took me to 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, where it basically says Jesus is going to praise us for our faithfulness. And when I was having this conversation with Jesus, I found it fascinating. It was like he was not all that concerned about Hampton. I kept wanting to talk about Hampton, and he kept shifting the focus to me. He was like saying to me, will you be faithful? Jackie, will you be faithful to me no matter what? No matter how this turns out with Hampton. And then Jesus. (laughs) My sweet Jesus gave me the best advice I ever got on parenting. It came in a picture. I'm not exactly sure why Jesus sends me pictures to help me understand things, but he does. That happens to be one of the ways he talks to me. And in this one, I was riding this wild, bunky bronco. Red and white flannel t-shirt, jeans, long curly hair, bouncing around, trying to hold on like crazy, sometimes riding sideways, then underneath the horse with my head hitting the ground, and then back upright again. Now my hair's matty, the shirt is ripped. And as Jesus gave me that picture, I heard him say, your job, Jackie, is to stay on. Just stay on. It's not going to be pretty. Stay on. It's going to hurt stay on, just stay on the horse. And there it was. No formula. No, this is the right way. This is the wrong way. No shaming. Just a wild ride where I was supposed to just stay on. I have no idea why, but I think that that's something that some of you are needing a vision for also right now. You need to hear Jesus say that as much as I did. Just say on. You know, about five years, maybe six years ago, while my kids were in college or had just finished college, my daughter shared with me something that was very painful about how I mothered. She felt like she had been brainwashed because we raised her in this particular Christian environment. And now looking back, I think she might have been right on some accounts. It's, it can be harmful for kids to be raised in some conservative fundamentalist environments. But even still, you can imagine how hard it was to hear her say that to me. I was thinking, we have moments like that, don't we? When we wonder if we're messing them up or looking back, we wonder if we gave ourselves to, to, to what we gave ourselves. Did, did it matter? It makes me think of Isaiah where he said, my work All seems so useless. I have spent my strength for nothing and to no purpose at all. And that's where I was when she shared that with me. Looking back, I'm thinking, did I did did what I gave myself to really matter? A few days after that conversation, I told the boys what she said, and I asked them if they agreed. And there was silence and a pit in my stomach. And for the next several days, I vacillated between anger at their ungratefulness and fear that I'd messed them up and a sense of complete failure. Yeah, this is all part of parenting, isn't it? And then, then this popped up in my email from Hampton. Let me read it to you. Ma, that's what he always calls me. Ma, I know the other day you said you wondered if you did your children right by raising them in the church. I want you to know that I honestly believe that you raised me, Hunter, and Maddie better than anyone else I know. 
Your children have a passion for those in need, whether it's helping an illegal immigrant to pass their driver's test or Hunter spending three months as an 18-year-old helping people in DRC to the internet in order to better their lives. I know for me personally, my calling is to help others. Now, are these character traits something that could have been grown outside the church? Maybe. I don't really know. I think there are many people who love others who are not Christians or Muslims or Buddhists or Jewish or anything else. But I think to all the people I know and of those people, the number of them living for others is small, very small. You have raised your kids to, you have raised kids who do. You didn't just raise us in the church. You raised us to be free thinkers, to love the world and see it outside of the white middle-class lens that everyone else I know sees it by. Are these things because of the church? Maybe some of it is, but I think a lot of it comes from you and dad, who you are as people, and the church has made you who you all are. Could we be kind, loving people who never stepped a foot in the church? Of course. Could we care for others without being raised in the church? Of course. But to me, it seems like a much smaller chance, not solely because of the church, but because of whom the church has made you and dad to be. So do I regret growing up in the church? No. Do I know if I believe God in God? No. But do I think the church has in any way hindered us to be great people? If anything, it has opened our minds and our hearts, and if nothing more, set a moral code that is good. Even if God turns out to be a fake and it's all bogus, I would rather live my life for other people than myself. What a wasted, sad life that would be to care only for money and personal gain. I love you, Mom. And please, never question if you did it right. You did. Yeah. I was thinking um, about this pandemic and how these feelings of uncertainty and inadequacy in mothering can be so exacerbated, especially with all the social media, you know, telling us how to be this perfect mom during the, this perfect pandemic. And I don't know. I think of the scripture where Paul says, so my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Nothing you ever do for the Lord is ever useless. And I think about Isaiah. Remember I read part of the verse? I didn't read it all. Here's what the full verse says. My work all seems so useless. I've spent my strength for nothing and to no purpose at all. Yet, I leave it all in your hands, Lord. I will trust God for my reward. Yeah. See, that's the scriptures saying to us, just stay on. It ain't going to be pretty. Nope. It's going to hurt. Yep. Just stay on. And in case you're wondering, it turned out Hampton is one of those gifted people who's going to change the world. Hey, if you've enjoyed this conversation, then hop on over to themarcellaproject.com and sign up for our email or check out some of our other resources. You can also find me on the Marcella Project Facebook page or on every other platform of social media as Jackie Reese, R-O-E-S-E. Have a great day.